ability, O oh God, through Jesus Christ to perform differently than if we were to perform in the flesh. That, Lord, we can perform in the power of the Spirit and not in the flesh if we choose to do so. For the Spirit is constantly ready to help us. The Spirit is constantly ready to correct us. The Spirit is constantly ready to empower us, to perform and to do that which would truly glorify our Father in heaven. And therefore, Lord, you put it in very simple terms. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it with the purpose of glorifying the one who has created us. The one who has called us by his name. And Paul challenges us when he says... To walk worthy of the calling. Lord, may we your people. Not walk in the flesh, but walk in the spirit. May our actions be of the spirit and not of the flesh. For we no longer live by the flesh, but we live by the power of the spirit of God. And because we walk in the Spirit, we walk worthy of the calling that you have placed on our lives. Lord, may you minister to us. May you reveal to us that we are not the same, but we are a different people. We're not, we're not what we were yesterday. We were not what we were five years ago. We were not what we were when we first were born. But we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. We are the saints of the living God. We are a peculiar people. We are not the people of this world. But we live on a higher plane. For our citizenship is in heaven and not here upon earth. Help us to remind ourselves we're just passing through this place. That we're on our way home to glory. We're on our way to meet you and see you face to face. But until that time come, O oh God, empower us to occupy. Empower us to be about our Father's business. Empower us, O oh God, to be, O oh Lord, a treasure in a temporary body. Remind us of our frailties without you. And Lord, we'll give you the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to pick back up in Revelations chapter 12. That enemy of God and of the saints of God. It is a war that continues on. And oftentimes we get so busy in life, we don't give much thought to life. We don't ask from whence we've come and where we're going. Somehow we just assume life is life. And that is just going to go on forever and ever the way it is. And somehow we don't recognize we are at a war. And most people don't realize we're even at a spiritual war. And most people don't even concern themselves with a spiritual war that is taking place. Because we're so busy just trying to live. And when you get busy just trying to survive and to live and to make it, you really don't care about anything else. You just worry about what? The present right now. And that's what you focus on. The present, the right now. And what the Word of God does, it advances us. That we're looking on down the road. We're looking down the road of years. We're looking down to where we're going to spend eternity. We're looking down to where when this life is no more, then what happens? It also causes us to look back to wonder, why is this? 
Why is this world the way it is? Elaine and I, we were discussing that this past week, just the other day, seven people were killed in Cleveland. Seven lives went out into eternity. What does that mean to us? How does that affect us? What caused that? Why? The enemies of Christ are the enemies of the believer and the saints of God. The enemies of Christ are the enemies of the people of God. Now, let's get a good understanding about that for a moment. Satan, the word says, has blinded the world of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Satan blinds men and women, although they see, they don't see. Because oftentimes we're interpreting what we just see, not the unseen. And behind every action of man, there is a demonic influence or there's a spiritual influence. Is one or the other. Man is not left to himself to make his own decisions, per se. Man is being influenced by a demonic way of thinking, a worldly view way of thinking, or a heavenly view way of thinking, or how the Holy Spirit will speak to him, how he will think. There's always that influence from one or the other. And the enemy of Christ will always be trying to influence you to do that which would be against Christ. Against his word. Against his gospel. Against his way and his principles and his standards. The enemies of Christ are the enemies of the saints of God. Now. The first victim to fall to this, or first casualty of this war, because I believe the war took place way before Adam. Some could question me on that, and some say, well, it don't really take place until Revelation chapter 12. I, 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 I think it took place beforehand. And I think Satan was put out of heaven before that time because he shows up in Eden in the garden and we'll go through that a little more but Adam was influenced by who? by Satan Eve was influenced by Satan the question you have to ask is this who's influencing you? See, man likes to think he have original thought. Man doesn't have original thought. Either the thought is prepped by the enemy or by God. And then filtered into the minds of man. It's what first takes place out here that is unseen. And then is spoken into this mind. And somehow we think, oh boy, that's a new thought. That's a fantastic thought. That's a wonderful thought. That's a great thought. That's an excellent idea. Where did it proceed from? Where did it proceed from? And that first victim of this war that is continuing on was Adam. Now, victim, the word victim, because I I kind of looked it up in the dictionary, just get a little bit more information about it. Is someone killed, destroyed? Does that sound familiar of a verse? Kills and destroy? <laughs> For Satan comes to do what? To kill and to destroy? He comes to rob? <laughs> but 
It says a victim is someone killed, destroyed, injured, or otherwise harmed by the suffering from some act or condition or circumstances of what? A war. Now, Adam could have said to God and to Satan, this ain't my war, this is you guys. Because we even say that with people, you know. Uh, that's their battle. That's their fight. Uh, uh, I'm just an innocent bystander. I'm just a friend to both of them. But somehow we got drugged into this war. And Satan says, boy, I can't beat up on God, but I can beat up on what God loves. I can't beat up on God. The but I can beat up on what God loves. And what God loved was his creation. What God loved was man. And Satan's determination was to rule over that which God was destined to rule over. And to set his throne among the nations rather than God. Now, turn with me to 2 Timothy 3.12, just for a moment. We're, we're, we're just setting the stage for Revelations. 2 Timothy 3.12. Because it helps us to understand, if you decide to live a certain way, that, that there's going to be things that are going to happen to you just because you make that decision to live that way. He says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life. And I want you to really take a a look at who wants to live it. Everybody don't want to live what? A godly life. Everybody don't want that. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Everybody wants to, to go somewhere else other than hell. But... We don't want to live a godly life. And if you're going to walk with God, and if you're going to partner with God, and if you're going to be a saint of God, if you're going to be a child of God, you're going to walk, and you're going to live a godly life. I think that's one of the things that we've come to a point to just say, well, God loves all of us, And he's just going to save all of us. No, he's not. Because God has certain requirements. Man put place for requirements following God himself as the example. In order for you to be in this position, a lawyer, you got to meet certain qualifications. You just can't go out here and hang up your lawyer sign. And all of us can go into court and argue a point. Because isn't that all that lawyers really do? They go in court and they argue a point. The thing is, they've been trained for it. They know a little bit more of the law than what we know and what can be said, what can't be said, how it should be said. All of us can't go into some place and manage something. Because a manager today has to be trained, but we all can go and tell somebody, hey, take that thing and put it over there. Do that over there. We can all do that. But to really manage something is a whole different picture. And it requires certain training. Christians accept the Lord, and we are the only group of people who think that because we accept the Lord and learn a little knowledge that we don't have to be trained. And we are the people, if we're going to live godly, we have to be trained. Because it's not in us that it just happens automatically. There's that training. 
But he says, if you accept the training and you're willing to live godly, he goes on and he says, a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In other words, you're going to suffer because you do desire to live godly. Now understand something. If you get too holy around people, they'll tell you, you think you are holier than You think you're better than, and we get all these little things thrown at us because all we desire to do is to walk worthy before our God. And Satan will attack because you're willing to live godly. Keep that in mind. Then in Revelation 12, when we pick up in verse 4 and 5, John is going to cover the lifespan of Jesus. But he's also going to show us what Satan desires. Because John sees that. And, and then when Satan can't defeat what God is purposing, Satan is going to do something else. And I want to put this in your mind now. Satan don't know the future, per se. Satan doesn't know what your life is really going to be. God does. Satan doesn't. So what Satan has to do, Satan constantly has to be on watch. Satan and all his demons, all his cohort, they're on watch to see what God's going to do with you. And what plans God has. Now understand this. Satan is only a reactionary. So once when Satan sees God work, then Satan acts. When Satan sees God do something, then he acts against it. And you and I have to be wise enough to understand Satan will always throw a wrench in the mess. He will always try to hinder. Just because God calls you to do something doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Just because you are a Christian and you're born again and you're really trying to live godly and holy, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. You're going to be at war. You've got to fight. You're going to fight temptation. You're going to fight the words of men. You're going to fight the actions of men and women against you. You're going to be in this constant battle. You're drawn into it because you did pick a side. And you picked to be on the side of Jesus Christ. So you have thrown yourself, in a sense, into this war. This cosmic war that takes place. And Satan, he doesn't know everything. He didn't know, boy, okay, you got Adam. And then God sends this promise in Genesis 3, 6 and 3.15. That one would be born of a woman. Who would crush his head. Now if you knew somebody was going to be born. That was going to come after you. What would you try to do? You would try to stop that. You would try to prevent that from happening. When you know somebody's after you. You try with all your power and all your might. To prevent that from taking place. Well that's what Satan does. And Satan has been doing that down through the history to prevent Jesus Christ to sit on the throne and rule the nations. And Satan's goal is to do what? Rule the nations. To rule the hearts of men and women. To rule over us. Now, the birth of Christ in Galatians 4 4 said, In the fullness of time. Guess what? Satan didn't know the time. He didn't know the time that God would choose to bring Jesus Christ into this world. But what we're going to look at is some things that Satan tried to hinder that all the way up through. We're just going to run through that pretty quick. Because Satan doesn't know everything. And God just said, in the fullness of time, 
I'm going to send forth this Savior. The one who will defeat you. The one who would hinder your program on earth. Jesus' death on the cross brought judgment to Satan. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. The thing that man has always been fearful of is death. And, and Satan somewhat in our minds controlled death. But the one who really controls life and death is the Lord Jesus Christ. But look what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 58. He says, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your what? Victory. What happens in death to us? We are born eternal beings. We'll never die. We'll never die. We're born with the purpose of living eternity. Now, we're going to live eternity either in heaven or we will live eternity in hell. One or the other. But from this point on, you are an eternal being that will never die. But the thing that took place at death is this. The moment you die, either you're absent from the body and present with God or you're absent from the body and you're in hell. You don't go to a holding station to wait for the great, great judgment to come. You're not going to a paradise place to wait to hear if you get into heaven. You are immediately upon death going to either heaven or hell based on the choice that you have made here. Of accepting Jesus Christ. Period. And he says, Satan... You don't have any control over this thing called death that fears men. Because man was fearful of death and wondering where was he going after he leaves this place. Is there that bedtime confession, that death confession? Yes, it is. And many people accept the Lord on their deathbed because they don't know where they're going. But how much more would it have been a richer life if they would have accepted the Lord when they were a child or in their teens or in their 20s or in their 40s or 50s or 60s that they accepted the Lord and lived for the Lord? What a difference in life. And then what a comfort even at death. Because you know where you're going. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And he says, boy, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord who? Jesus Christ. He gives us the victory. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not what? It's not in vain. You're going to see the Lord. You're going to receive your rewards. You're going to receive your crowns. You're going to receive what has been promised to you. You're going to see the Lord face to face. Your labor is not in vain. Go to Hebrews 2.14. Oftentimes what frightens us is that we don't know. And what the scriptures does, it allows us to know. And we want to know that Satan, boy, he's a defeated foe. He has no power over me. It says in 2.14, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. What did God do? He came down here, clothed himself in this flesh, in this humanity. There was none of us that could be blameless. None of us could be that lamb or that sacrifice. So he made himself the sacrifice. And he would die in our place. 
And that's hard for man to picture. Because, boy, you'll barely find one man that would give his life. But here is God now. Giving his life. His human life. As a sacrifice for you and I. It's like the father who's going to spank the child who bends over and spanks himself. Who takes the child's punishment. I can't, I think it's, it's in the movie The King and I or one of the movies about one of the kings of Japan or China that the little emperor if he made a mistake or he did wrong, he was going to be punished. But the part about this was this. He was not directly punished. He picked one of his men who ministered to him to receive the punishment on his behalf. And here's God who created us. And when you and I are worthy of punishment, who takes the punishment that we deserve, and puts it upon himself. That's mind-buckling to us. We can't figure that one out. But scripture says. That he tasted death for each and every one of us. He took our death. He took the pain of that death. On himself. And he says simply. He clothed himself in humanity. So that by death he might Destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Look who scripture says who holds the power of death. The devil. Satan. Holds the power of death. That fear of death. That pain of death. Satan holds. And he says that Christ came that he would remove that. That he would remove it. Go to 1 John 3 8. 1 John 3.8, he says, let me get my eyes focused here. When y'all get old and get these bifocals and see two different things, y'all going to have a problem too. He says, he who does what is sinful is of the devil. Now, now, now listen to that. He who does what is sinful is of who? Yeah. God will never tempt you to sin. God will not empower you to sin. When that happens, it's of the devil who's doing the influencing. It's the devil who has set the stage. It's the devil who makes it possible. And he simply says, boy, when you sin, it's of the devil. And oftentimes, we don't understand that. And oftentimes, we just... Put it on ourselves. Oh, I chose to do it. Yes, you did choose to follow Satan. But understand, you didn't set the environment. You didn't place the people around you. Somebody else caused all that to take place. And he goes on, he said, He who does what is sinful is the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's what? The devil's work. Why did Jesus appear? To destroy the work of the devil. Now, if he, de- if he appears to destroy the work of the devil, who is the devil at work on? You and I. You and I. He's just not out there planting trees. He's not out there cutting your grass. He's not going to Goodyear building a tire, per se. He's not doing any manual work, per se. He's working on you and I to stumble and to rebel against God. That's his work. That's his plan. That's his goal. He's working on us. And we're not even aware that he's working on us. But he is. And Jesus appeared that he might destroy 
the work of the devil. He appeared for that purpose and that purpose only. Now, go to Romans 16:20 because see he only has a little time. But he don't know the end. But he he knows he only has a little while. And we need to understand the scripture says, a day is like a thousand years to God. And a thousand years is like a day. And the only thing it's saying in that text in Peter is this here. With God, there's no time. Man has to worry about time. Man is promised 70 years. Three score and ten. Seventy years. So once you reach 70, praise God. You get past 70, God has blessed and added some more years. Now, there's two reasons God adds that more years to life. One is that you are busy about his work and your task is not yet finished. But when your task is finished, God will call you home. Number two, to give you more time to realize who the creator is and who God really is. He gives us more time sometimes to really know that he is the Savior. That he really does exist. Now, in Romans 16, 20, he says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Under your feet. No, you will not be fearful any longer of Satan. You're not troubled by Satan any longer. And Satan, though, he only has a short time in God's time period. That he himself will be crushed and put under the feet of those who he oppressed at this time. Only for a little while. Now, when we get to Acts 1, 9 through 11, it talks about the ascension. But in Revelations 12... 4 and 5, it also talks about the ascension of Christ. Because it covers his whole life, covers before his life, and it covers up to that present time. Because when you jump into verse 7 of Revelation 12, there's another whole scene here that takes place that begins to talk about Satan. But in Acts 1, turn, turn to it, because here again it says, Satan, you only have a little time. You only have a little while. And Satan knows that even from this verse. But again, Satan, as Jesus says, no man knows the hour nor the day in which he's going to what? Return. Satan doesn't know that. But starting off in verse 9, he says, After he said this, he was taken up before the very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood before them. Two angels now stand before Peter, and they're saying, Hey, he's taken up. They watch Jesus do what? Ascend from earth to heaven. And it, and it goes on and says in verse 11, Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will what? Come back. In the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Jesus is going to return in the same manner in which he was taken up. Now what is that saying to Satan? Satan, you only got a little while. Even as one person said to Vic, I missed you. When they got up here and him up here, boy, forcing them to sing a little more. They said, yeah, you could have took a little longer vacation. You know, but, but, but the thing is, I'm coming back. And what's the first thing Vic said? I'm back. One day Jesus is going to reappear and say what? I'm back. I'm back. And Satan knows that day is coming. That Jesus is going to say, I'm back. I'm back. And I'm going to do the final work of destroying all of your works. And guess what, Satan? The throne you thought you were sitting on here on earth, I will now sit in. And I will rule over all the nations. Come with me now to Revelations 
And I want you, we want to read this. And then we're going to go through a couple of things here. In Revelations, verses 4 and 5. Remember we talked about last week, he took one-third of the angels, but that was like a drop in the bucket. Remember last week we talked about all the nations, that Satan's desire was to rule over all the nations, although Israel is the centerpiece. And, it, and Israel is the centerpiece here in Revelations, like, but it also includes all the other nations. It's going to affect worldwide, not just Israel. I understand what Romans 11 speaks about, that Israel was blinded for a while. They were set aside for a while until the fullness of the Gentiles' time would come in. I, I understand that. But understand this also. Satan is hindering all nations. Upset with one nation, yes, but want to rule all nations. For there is only one nation who brought forth Jesus Christ. One nation who brought forth this promised child. So when it speaks about this woman who is pregnant, it's talking about Israel. Israel. But it also uses a very important word in the text. It says Satan watched. Why? Because Satan didn't know the time. So when he comes down to that verse 4 in, in, in Revelation 12, it says, His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth, the angels that fell with him. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, that's Israel, so that he might devour her child, that he might what? Destroy the child, kill the child. If he kills the child, he thinks he has killed God's plan. He stopped God's plan. He goes on, he says, the moment it was born, but he didn't know when it was going to be born. So he's watching Israel. He's watching. And then verse 5, he says, she gave birth to a son, a male child. Now, Scripture here, I'm just going to pause here just to elaborate on something. God is a spirit that we know. But all this stuff of trying to make God a she or a woman. Scripture here declares expressly, mentions it twice, a son and a male. Why would you say a son and then a male? trying to emphasize something here to us. It's in the male gender. Could have just left son. Was stood by itself. Understanding that a son is a what? A daughter is a what? But emphasizing here just a little bit more to us. That Jesus Christ, when he came, he came as a what? As a male. As a man. And, and he goes on and he says... He stood there and he watched and she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations. Now we got a conflict because Satan's desire is to do what? Rule all the nations. But Christ is going to what? Rule all the nations. Now we got a war going on. Two individuals want the same thing. To rule over God's creation. To rule over the people that God has created. Satan desires to do it. Christ is going to do it. And he goes on with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Snatched up the ascension that took place. That Christ leaves earth to heaven. The ascension that we read about in Acts 1, 9-11. That they saw him go from earth to heaven. And they were able to testify of that. Now, Satan was on the watch for this. Remember what it just said? That the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child. Take a look with me at some things. One, Satan has to watch and see what God is doing. And then he would react to defeat 
or destroy or to hinder the work. Illustration of that, if you go to Daniel, we're not going to go to 10, 12, 13. Daniel's praying and God is trying to get a message through. And it says that the angel was hindered by who? By the prince of Persia. That the angel was hindered in getting the message through that God was sending to Daniel. And Michael had to come and help. But the message did get through. Understand something. Satan can hinder, but he can't stop. Satan can hinder us. He can't stop what God's going to do in us and through us. He may slow the process down. And sometimes the way he slows the process down, he gets us running off some other way rather than following the will of God. He gets us off doing something else rather than really seeking after the Lord. He gets us to a place that we want to do something else other than the perfect will of God in our life. And we go after that thing. We just got off the track. And we're going to miss what God has for us. And what happens oftentimes with us is that when we follow after something else for a while, it shortens our ministry or our service to God while we're doing something else. Rather than having... 50 years to serve the Lord, I may have caused now I only have 40 years to serve the Lord. Because I'm running after something else and I'm desiring something else, I lose maybe 20 years. Now I only have a shorter time to really serve the Lord. It shortens our time of service with God. But God's going to accomplish his plan in us. Now understand this also. You may drop from plan A to plan B. You may drop from plan A to plan B, but God still has a plan for our life. God never forsakes us. He never leaves us. But we can do things that will hinder God's plan in our life. And we can do things that will disqualify us from the service of God. And that's what Paul talks about. That he would not be disqualified from serving God. We can do things that will hinder us from being In God's A plan, we're in God's B plan. He goes on and he says, one, Abel. Abel was killed by his brother based on what fact? The scripture says that he pleased God. (laughs) He came with the right sacrifice. And Satan may have said in his mind, that's the one that seed's going to come through. Because he's pleasing God. He's doing God's will. Well, let's stretch him off. Let's get him off the list. That removes one of the threats now. Then the flood. What happened in the flood? All the unbelievers died. Now, who caused all them people to be unbelievers? And why would not they believe God? So, Satan, boy, in his work of causing that unbelief, And causing the flood to take place. Many lost their lives. That lessens the chance of one who what? Who would be born. Who would rule over the nations. Then Nimrod, after the flood. And all the people are gathered in one place. And remember, Nimrod's name means to rebel. The great rebellion against God in Genesis 10 through 8. That boy, here it takes place. Because what does Satan want us to do? Is to rebel against God. Is to rebel against God. People say that, well, they never made a choice. When you don't make a choice, you have already rebelled against God. Because God caused you to make the choice. God says you choose who you will serve. You choose. You cannot choose. You cannot serve two masters. You're going to love the one and hate the other. You choose. You're either in love with God or you're in love with Satan. One or the other. There's no in-between. You're serving either God or you're serving Satan. There's no in-between. And the whole process is that you've got to make a choice. Then you go on to Abraham. Boy, Abraham called by God. But Satan gets in there. And what does he do? He causes Abraham. 
the one who's called by God to mistrust God. And what does he do? He goes off and he has a son by his bondservant, by this slave woman, and Ishmael comes on the scene. Well, Ishmael is not the promised child. The promised child is Isaac. But Satan hinders. And then when you get into Exodus 1, 15 through 16, what do you see? You see that the Pharaoh of Egypt, he demands that all the male children be what? Be killed. Be killed. Trying to hinder the work of God. But God preserved one called Moses. Satan can't hinder. Satan can't stop. And then when you look into the book of Esther, look what you see. You see this guy called Haman, who desires to do what? Kill all the Jews. If he killed all the Jews, Jesus is coming through which line? The Jewish line. The line of Israel. And there's Haman in Esther 3. And his desire is to do what? Kill all the Jews. See in the picture a little bit? And then when you get to Herod. And the wise men tell Herod about this one that's going to be born. And they didn't go back and tell him that they found him because God interceded and told the men to go on back home another way and not to go back to Herod. That Herod killed the children, Jewish child, up to two years old. Didn't want to miss this one that was promised to come. That he had all the children killed up to two years old. And then, turn with me to Luke. This is fascinating here. Luke chapter 4. Because, see, after he knew that, after he knew he missed him as a child, so, boy, maybe I can get the people to do the work. Maybe I can get the people to put him to death. No. Go to 28 through 30. And, and, and see, this can only be a God thing here that, that you see here and that, and that we read. Uh, nobody else could do this but God. And what you need to look at in your own life sometime, could anybody else done this but God? That's when you know God's intervention. Because nobody else could have done this but God. And that's how you detect when God's working in your life. Nobody else is doing this but God. I'm going to use Ed back there as an example. Hey, nobody else kept that foot and that leg but God. When you got the doctor saying, boy, we need to cut this thing off. You got the doctor saying, we need to remove Nobody kept that foot and that leg but God. And God shows his intervention into our lives. Because then he's doing something that no human being is able to do. And you go back as a testimony in your own life and you say, God did that. When the doctor told us our son... Gus is between one and two with cockle meningitis, and they didn't have a lot of knowledge about it back then. They were just coming up with the shank to take the water off his brain and so forth, and they wanted to do that as an experiment with Gus, and I told him no experimenting here. But Gus is supposed to be paralyzed on one side. He's not supposed to be able to walk. He's not supposed to be able to do a lot of things. So all the way through school, and even when we went to Tacoa, and, and the doctors looked at his record, and they would look at him, and they look at the record, and they say, is this the one I'm reading about? That's the one you're reading about. Nobody but God. Nobody but God. And when you look in your life and say, nobody but God. There's your testimony of what God has done. Go back. I got off a little bit. 28 through 30. Nobody but God. 
And he says in that 428, he says, oh boy. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. Jesus speaking and so forth. They got up, drove him out of the town. Here's the people driving Jesus out of the town, not appreciating what he has spoke on, what he has preached, or what he has said. And their thing was, we're going to get this guy, you know. And took him to the brow of the hill in which the town was built in order to do what? Throw him down the cliff. They meant to hurt him. They meant to kill him. They meant to destroy him. But look at this now. Boy, this is just amazing. It says, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Who caused that to happen? He walked right through the crowd. Why? It was not his time to die. He had not fulfilled his purpose. Though the people were desirous to do one thing, God just made it where he just walked right through the crowd. Like if he was invisible, couldn't be seen, couldn't be touched. God just called him walk right on through the crowd. But God. And then in the ninth thing here is this. Remember when Jesus was put in the tomb? Remember what the Pharisees, they went to Herod and asked, and what did they ask? Put guards out there. Put a big stone in front. Keep him in that tomb. Not knowing God had another plan. And Jesus came forth from that tomb. Jesus came forth from that tomb. Now, go back to Revelation 7. Boy. Because here again now, in 12.6, read that and we're going to go right into verse 7. It says, let me get my eyes focused. I'm going to start in verse 5. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And the child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God, where she might take care, where she might be taken care of for a thousand two hundred and sixty days. What's happening there? John now is back to the time in which he's looking forward now. We look back, and what do we look back at? Over the life of Christ, over what Satan was trying to prevent. Of Christ being born. And Christ existing. And now John comes right back. To this present to see. Yet the future now. And the future was. That Israel. After the three first three and a half years. With the peace treaty with the Antichrist. That is broken. And once that is broken. Israel no longer a friend with the Antichrist. Understand this. The temple in Israel is rebuilt the first three and a half years, if not before, based on the fact they have a covenant with the Antichrist. So he's able to rebuild the temple. So they're uh, thinking the Antichrist is their friend. But the scripture says in the middle of the seven years, after three and a half years, the Antichrist at that point, breaks that peace treaty in a sense, and he begins to persecute the Jews. And it says that God had prepared a place for them. God has prepared a place for them to take care of them. Now, as soon as you're done with that, it shows us in verse 7 this war that takes place. This war, it says, and there was war in heaven. Michael and the angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. Now understand, there was a time that, if you ask Lucifer where he lived at, He said, heaven. 
he lost that privilege of living in heaven. Oftentimes, young people don't know it's a privilege to live at 444 South Forest Path. That was a privilege to live there. It was a privilege for me to live at 1080 Packer Drive with my parents. It was a privilege to live there. But once you lose that privilege, you no longer live there. That's not your address any longer. That doesn't mean you may not stop by. That doesn't mean that you may not uh, say hi and, and, and hello and how are you or give a report how you're doing. But that's not where you're living at. You may visit for a moment, but you're not living there. You following me? So now let's go on a little bit more with this text. It says, the great dragon was hurled down. That ancient servant called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world, what? Astray. Mark that. If you haven't marked that in your Bible, mark it. He leads the whole world astray. He leads people astray. He leads people away from God rather than to God. Men just don't drift away from God. Men don't, uh, they think they're making, oh no, uh, but when you present salvation to them, they think that they are the ones making the decision. No, they've been led to lead, to, to turn from God. They've been led away from God. Remember, the scripture says God leads a man to Christ. The Holy Spirit leads a man to Christ. If it's God leading a man to Christ, if it's the Holy Spirit leading a man to Christ, there is something leading a man away from Christ. And that something that leads the man away from Christ is Satan. What leads man away from Christ is the teaching of demons. It's something else. It's just not the person. Because the person, when they hear it, they're, they're thinking, why should I? Why shouldn't I? Why? And, and that whole thing is going through the mind. And they're reasoning in themselves. And when they're reasoning in themselves, they're reasoning either from the influence of Satan or the influence of the Spirit. And he says, boy, he is thrown down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Now, nowhere in Scripture do we find that the angels have the privilege of re-entering heaven. But because of Job 1, we find that Satan himself has that privilege to approach God. But not all the angels that are thrown out with him. So God said, no, you're not bringing your whole group with you. You're not bringing your whole gang with you. You can come for now. But there comes a period that Satan himself can no longer even present himself before God. But only Satan does that. Not all his angels that fell with him. Only Satan presents himself before God. Why? He is the one who accuses you and I of our wrongness. He's the accuser of the brother. And he, he goes on, he says, Satan who leads the whole world astray, he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Let's pause there for a little bit. John tells us of this war and the dragon. Where is he hurled to? To the earth. His home now is earth. Now, in Isaiah 14.4, put this together now. I don't want you to lose this. Satan is to rule all nations. That's Satan's desire. Go to Isaiah real quick. We're just about done. Don't start thinking about dinner yet. It's going to be there. Hey. Isaiah 14. Somebody called me one time, a long-winded preacher. I am. Praise God. Hey. I ain't hear no amens, but we'll keep going. It's <laughs> okay. But in Isaiah 14 and verse 14, and, and there's this little section that's called Satan's his 
I am. I am. But he says, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. He knew he could not be the Most High. He knew he could not be God. But he says, I can be like God. And the way that you are like God is that you rule over. That's why God says we are made in his image. And when we're made in his image, he rules over the kingdom. When he puts them, you go back into Genesis 3, what was Adam to do? Rule over his earth and then to rule over his what? His home. Not be a dictator, but ruling and love over his home. In that image of God. That man rule. But when you look at... uh, Verse 12, boy, it, it speaks of him, uh, that he was the morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. In 15, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne. Whose throne? His throne. Not God's throne. His throne. He's going to sit on his throne over the nations. Above the stars of God. I will enthrone I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assemblies, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. But Satan thrown down to earth. Um, when you look at it in Revelation 12, 7, let's go back there real quick. He says in that 12.7, you got the thing of what Jesus is saying. But he said, and there was war in heaven and Michael and the angels fought fought against the dragon. What is he fighting about? God's rule. God's rule. Go back to that verse 5 now for a moment. Because it speaks of Jesus being what? The one who will rule all nations. Remember I said earlier? Now you got a war going on because what does Satan want to do? He wants to rule all nations. Who's going to rule all nations? Christ. The only way you can rule is if you dethrone the one who is set to rule, and that's Jesus Christ. So now we have a war going on. And when you go over in that verse 9, listen again what he does. The great demon was hurled down that ancient servant called the devil of Satan who leads the whole world astray. What is he doing? Leading the whole world astray. Now, let's get ready to close out here for a moment. Satan continues the war against God. Now, the whole process, I can't defeat God per se. Go to Ephesians 5, because this is what he can do. And this is what Satan does do. It's like a man who has an enemy but knows he can't not defeat that man but he hurts that which is precious to the man. He hurts his son. He hurts his daughter. He hurts something that the man owns or possesses. And that's what Satan does here. And Ephesians 5.23, it says, get these up again. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of what? Of the church. I can attack the church. Why? That's what Christ is the head of. I can attack the church. I can cause all kinds of trouble in churches. I can call the church to look like what Christ does not mean for it to look like. I can cause men to hate to even go to church or want to be part of a church. I can keep people away from the church because that's where God wants them to be at, at church. But I can keep people away from the church. Or I can cause people to quit the church. I can cause people to run away from the church. And Satan does that. He hinders. Can't stop it, but he can hinder it. And then when you drop down into verse 25, it says, boy, 
Husbands, love your wife just as Christ, now catch this, Christ loved the church. I can hurt what Christ loves. Can't hurt him. But I can hurt what he loves. Satan continues his war, and we'll pick up there next week. Because I want you to see, when Satan is brought down to earth, how he responds. But what is most important is how God responds. And what God does to protect his own. To protect his creation. To deal with men that he loves and women that he loves and children that he loves. How God acts. But then what Satan does and then see what God does. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for your word. And Father, where there is misunderstanding, we pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit, who is the true teacher, will take us back through these verses in our quiet time. And that your Holy Spirit might minister unto us. That we might see that Jesus Christ, that he came into this world to destroy the work of the devil. For the work of the devil was against everything that God had planned for us. The work of the devil is to take away the joy of the Lord. The work of the devil is to take away the peace of God. The work of the devil is to take away the knowledge of God. The work of the devil is to cause us to live a life totally in opposition to what God has ordained for us to live. 